Good evening, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Highland Talk. My name is M. Kitchens, joined always by my friend Mitch Wolf. We got a lot to get to today. Mitch, the landscape of sports, it's just been absolutely shook to its core over the past few days. I don't know about you. I don't know what you've been following, but like, and we're not necessarily going to cover it all now, but this has just been a wild week and a half. Yeah, this has been a while. These past couple of days have been nutty. We're, we're not going to touch on all of it. We have a lot to cover today. We're spending today primarily on basketball. We got crystal ball coming back. We got Hawk of the Day later on, which are going to be even fun because of all the chaos that's happened this week. But you know what, Ooh. Sam? I want to start with the all-star starters. Oh, boy. <laughs> uh, so we got... Steph Curry, LeBron, Giannis Jokic, Embiid Wiggins, Kevin Durant, John Morant, Trey Young, and DeMar DeRozan. And by conference, just to repeat that, in the East, we got Trey Young and DeMar. DeMar, DeMar. it's Trey Young, DeMar, DeMar in the backcourt. Back Front court is Kevin Durant, Giannis, and Joel Embiid in the West. We got Steph Curry and John Morant in the backcourt. Front court is Wiggins, Jokic, and who am I forgetting here? Who'd I forget? Wiggins, Jokic, who's the third in the West? Oh, LeBron. How'd I forget LeBron? <laughs> the Lakers. The Lakers have been like off. The Lakers. No one wants to talk about the Lakers. Yeah, but you don't forget the go. Uh, yeah. So what do we think, Sam? How? What do you think personally? I personally think they did a good job with the starters, right? Some of the names here that weren't necessarily household names. Like perennially, you wouldn't necessarily think DeMar DeRozan and Andrew Wiggins would be starters, but the years they've been having, and to be honest, who's available for those spots in their conferences? They so, earned that spot. So here's the thing I have with Andrew Wiggins. Yes, he's been playing like an all-star, but an all-star starter, I think that's a bit of a stretch. And you made a good point, Mitch, that a lot of the forwards have been injured. Paul George, Kawhi Leonard, Donovan Mitchell has been fully – I mean, he's a guard, but, like, he's not – has been fully healthy. Chris Porzingis has been fully healthy. When he's healthy, he's an all-star player. Yeah. And But nonetheless, what surprised me here is that, like, I really think there could have been a lot of other things that they could do. I mean, why wasn't Rudy Gobert in consideration for the front court? He's been having an amazing season for Utah. And why didn't they put like, why didn't they make an exception to put three guards in? I mean, Luka Doncic has been still been playing out of his mind the past few weeks. And Wiggins again has been good, but like, this is just the Warriors fans completely trolling the fan vote. And I'm a little disappointed by this. And I really do think Wiggins deserved to be an all-star, but not a starter. You know, it's a valid point. Right, we talk about positional value and where the strengths and weaknesses lie. Remind you, this is an all-star game, which is fan voted for the starters. It's not like there's no draft. That's only averaging 18 points. Averaging 18 points. And that's good. It's above league average. But like, for starter, guy who averages 18 points, and he's been great for the Warriors. I'm not denying how good Andrew Wiggins has been, but like, is he an all-star starter? I don't think so. You know what, Sam? It's an interesting point. The all-star game is coming up in a couple of weeks. We have a couple more all-star games coming up this week, NHL this weekend and the Pro Bowl this weekend, which we will get into in another episode. <laughs> the also the Olymp- and the, also the Olympics starting, but eh, whatever. Uh, <laughs> now we talked about the all-star starters. NBA all-star game should be exciting as always. A lot of oh, fun Mitch, I, scoring. I, but yeah, I think there's that. But overall, other than I think Wiggins, I think they got it right. I love that John Morant's an all-star starter. He's been playing like an MVP. All guys deserve to be on here, nonetheless, besides maybe Wiggins. I think that's my only critique. The question is who's going to replace Katie? That's the question. Yeah, a lot of different options in the East that can go one way or another. Maybe they play another guard, put another guard in there, move DeRozan down a spot. That's one possibility. Right, do you like Zach Levine. Zach Levine, Levine. I think would be a nice one. At the Maybe a Jason Tatum or Jalen Brown, if you right. like just looking at the wing spot. But enough for the All-Stars. Sam, let's move into our favorite segment. We got part two of the crystal ball coming out. We're go- doing in-depth analysis of the NBA Central Division today. We did the Atlantic last week. We'll uh, link to that in the description. We're going to cover everything from the prior success in the past couple of years of the franchise. We're going to cover their superstars, their role players, how does their roster fit out, their coaching, their front office, their assets in terms of draft and future picks and where we think they're going to be a couple years down the line and how we think they are going to move forward. So let's not wait any longer, Sam. Let's start with the Cleveland Cavaliers, currently 30 and 22nd in the Central Division and the four seed in the Eastern Conference. 
their prior success, they have prior, in terms of prior success, they have been pretty putrid since LeBron left them for LA a couple of years back. Obviously, a much different roster than what he left them. And Sam, let's get right into it. Uh, who are some stars that you focus on when you talk about the Cavs? So for this rating, I gave the current roster of the Cavs an A minus. If you would have told me that the Cleveland Cavaliers would be sitting at fourth in the Eastern Conference, I would have laughed. They had some depth. Whatever's been done has been working. It's been incredible. And one guy who's been the core of that, he has been an absolute stud. He's probably going to be an all-star come next in the two weeks. 19 points over eight assists, 1.2 steals. And he's shown he's so good shooting off a dribble. Like the eye test shows it all. He can get you a bucket from pretty much anywhere on the floor. He's been the motor of this offense, and he has really taken his game to the all-star level, and he's only going to get better. I mean, scouts were saying that when Garland was drafted, talent-wise, he was the best prospect in the draft. And that was, that was a pretty stacked, pretty stacked class. But he was one of the best pure guards out there, and he's really been such a focal point for them. And another guy I want to touch upon that has stepped into his role phenomenally, how good is Evan Mobley? He's a rookie of the year front one of the rookie year front runners, but he plays like a season bet. He's been amazing alongside Jared Allen in that front court. 14.8 points, eight rebounds, 1.7 blocks, which is amazing for a rookie. And 0.7 steals on 50% shooting, which is pretty efficient for a rookie. And take into account, the Cavs are doing this without Colin Sexton, who is their second best player. And the fact they're doing that without another one of their stars is kind of scary because meaning they had another piece, this team could be even better. So these star, I give these stars an A. Garland's been playing incredible, and Mobley has fit in quite well. But as we get deeper down this roster, one player I think has been the most important. Mitch, I know you like this. The throw. Jared Allen and the Cavs are doing what they're doing. Like, they're looking like they won the James Harden trade. <laughs> For real, though. Uh, obviously, Jared Allen's been a great player for that team. 16 points with 10 rebounds and shooting 67% from the field, 1.4 blocks. Second, Second in the league, by the way. In field goal and true shooting. I want to talk, again, we talked about the All-Star Stars a bit. Do you think Darius Garland, going back to him for a second, could fill in Kevin Durant's spot and they shift to Rosen down? Uh, he's definitely not a, he's not a starter. He's been playing really well. I don't think he's a starter. I think reserve is like perfect for him. He's not at that level yet. But I he think might get there. A year, he a might get there. He's been improving. And I think another year or two, there's no reason why he can't be on this list as an all-star starter. But I 100% see that. But, like, another guy, like, what stars only go so far, the Cavs are one of the deepest teams in the league. Okoro is a great slasher and one of the best perimeter defenders out there. Chetty Ospin, 10 points per game, can, can pop off and get you a bucket from wherever. And, guys, we keep flashing on Kevin Love. He is not dead yet. He's averaging 14 points. He's been a very efficient scorer for them. He has, he obviously hasn't been the same, but his value has gone up. His trade value is going up. So that could be very important for them. And Mitch, we keep talking about a guy also, Lord Marketing, three big guy situation. That has worked flawlessly. Marketing, Allen, three are all having career seat, are having, Marketing's having a career resurgence and Allen's having a career year working for them they're finding a way to make it work working it and they all their skill sets complement each other well Allen and Mobley command the paint no they're like they don't let anyone inside and marketing can bang outside which is an aspect of their game that has really helped stretch the floor and so I think this Cavs roster is very deep and they could surprise the team in the playoffs I would not be surprised and they filled in with these role players are deep so I give this overall roster an A minus you know Sam talking about the role players a lot of the guys, in the, especially the big men you mentioned, Laurie Markkinen, uh, Jared Allen, not necessarily him, but Evan Mo- Laurie Markkinen, Evan Mobley, Kevin Love are all high lottery picks. And Kevin Love, they've all embraced their roles on this team. Laurie Markkinen, Kevin Love mostly not starting. Kevin Love, especially in that second unit game, paid like a max player. But a lot of that comes from coaching and leadership and management and buy-in. And I then want to transition into our talk about Coach J.B. JB Bickerstaff which you have him graded as an A here, right? JB is- yeah, Mitch, you touched on it right there. What makes great coaching is getting a team to buy into everything. And JB Bickerstaff has done just that. It is this first normal season as a head coach, as like his last, last season, COVID and everything. We don't, I don't really count that, but he has been a coach of the year candidate. 
This Cavs team is the third best defensive rating. They're 12th in rebounds, seventh in assists. That means third best defensive rating. Like JB Bickerstaff's team, they're priding themselves on defense. We talk a lot about their offensive stats, but they get down and dirty. A good defensive team, that's a sign of good coaching. <laughs> they were 25th in defense last year, Mitch. They're top 10. They're also top 10 in three pointers allowed. I mean, they don't allow a lot of three pointers. They give teams a tough time, force them to take bad shots. And a stat that shows that that they're first in free throws allowed, meaning they allow the least amount of three of free throws in the league, meaning that they're disciplined down low. They don't let teams get to the foul line and they force bad shots in a very good way. And that comes from coaching. And they're still a middle of the pack offense, but I think good coach can get you a long way. And JB Biggerstaff has, has taken this team to new heights. You know, we're talking about coaching, leadership, management. In my intro to management class, like they basically said the premise of the class is learning how to get the right work done well. And JB Biggerstaff has gotten the right work done well from his team. We talked about the efficiency and owning the paint, the defensive rating up, the offensive offense playing like a top 10 offensive team in the league. And obviously the middle of the pack overall, but because that defense is elite, they're playing much better than they were last year. I want to touch for a second on assets, right? We did not look at their assets too heavily. Obviously them playing well means they're going to have a late first round pick this year, likely in the twenties and are looking at two second round picks this year, not owning their own, but have one from the Kings and one from the Rockets. I want from the Spurs and one from the Rockets, my bad. Uh, they have the Warriors second rounder next year and in 2024. And they also have the Bucks in 2025 owning all of their first round picks. Not to mention, let's talk about the cap fist for a second, right? The assets are, I'd say, mediocre in terms of draft pick capital, right? Nothing special, but you have a couple extra picks that you could move up or around if you need to do something salary filler. They also, not to mention, have two guys really out for the season, Ricky Rubio and Colin Sexton, that they could go ahead and use as rental pieces to acquire someone bigger if they want to. Yeah, I mean, you touched upon those assets. Like the draft capital is there if they want to make a move. And free agency really isn't an option, especially depending on what they do with Sexton. They're kind of locked into this core for a bit. But I really think now that Kevin Love has increased his trade value, he could be a great piece on a championship team. He could be getting a lot of calls. Isaac Okoro is very intriguing in terms of teams wanting a good a good slasher. People could be calling for, for Markin and even Steady Osman. They have a lot of good play, players that they, they could flip for maybe a star and a guy I'm looking for them to maybe target. And this is going to get into our next step about the executives. I think Jeremy Grant could be a guy, get some more depth on the wing. But I think also they could use another guard to fill in for sex, to fill in for sex. Then, I mean, Rondo's slate, plate replays Rubio pretty well. But I think maybe a guy like Corey Joseph could be in the mix, like maybe a low-key move like that. Kemba. And Kemba could be in the mix. But depends if the Cavs – Kemba specifically because he gives a lot of offensive juice that they couldn't that could be used off the bench. But it'll be interesting to see if the Cavs decide they want to maybe wait a year and sort of see what the free agency market is like. They want to move contracts around or they want to sort of strike while the iron is hot and go all in this year. Because I think the East is kind of wide open. Like people like there are some teams that are solidifying their grip, but there is overall wide open. And this gets into why the Cavs are in this position. Kobe Altman. They're in this position. I gave him an A. He's in his fifth season. They have rebuilt Anomaly ever since LeBron left. They, they, Mitch, I don't know if you noticed, they didn't eat when LeBron left, they didn't just like fire the coaching staff, they fired everyone. They completely cleaned house down to even the training staff. Like they wanted a complete culture rebuild, which speaks volume about a team wanting to really just change their identity. And the Garland pick was a home run. Jared Allen trade is also looking like an absolute grand slam. The mark, marketing was a fit. Everybody let met that with such criticism. Okoro has fit in well. Osman, low-key guys, and hiring a bigger staff also has made Kobe Allman one of the premier GMs in this league, and that gets the overall grade. I gave the Cleveland Cavaliers an A-. And people, I'm probably going to get a lot of flack. It's a little higher than most. But because now they develop a culture and an identity that really just fosters loyalty, discipline, and defense, they're going to be, I think they're, Right now, they're put themselves in position now and in the future because I got a lot. These guys, a lot of these guys are young. They're one of the more younger teams in the league, and they can make some noise depending. And they have the ability to make the move. They put themselves back on the map, and they will probably be a fringe playoff contender for a few more years. But I think they're one piece away from really being a title contender. Yeah, that's a bold statement. But again, this division has been the most interesting one. And I think in basketball here, we've had a, we'll get into more later. We have obviously one of the 
final one of the championship favorites, two surprise teams, and two sellers. So whether or not all those teams fit those roles at the beginning of the season, which is not true, only about two of them, two of the five did, but not a lot of cap space, an, ex, an excellent executive leading the helm, builds a good culture. They could theoretically go trade for a star. They could also stay where they are, but A minus was a good grade here. Now let's move on to the next team in the conference. Let's talk about the Milwaukee Bucks, the reigning champions, currently sitting at 31 and 21, third in the central and sixth in the east. In terms of prior success, Mike Budenholzer led them their first championship in, I forgot how long? A while, like 50 years. Since Oscar Robinson and Kareem days. So we're, we're talking like pre-everything. So like yes. not something we would remember because it was 50 years ago and we're 20. Uh, they really just exercise the demons of like playoff failure, which is something that was very much given a lot of flack for. And to be completely honest, like we're a Kevin Durant toe away from completely losing the finals. That's besides the point. And now we're here <laughs> talking about the Bucks as reigning champions, but whatever. Let's just hey, that's right life. Into it. Uh, that let's, life. Let's start with the stars, right? You can't talk about the Bucks without talking about Giannis Antetokounmpo. If he's not the top player in the league right now, he's, he's my MVP. He likely will be the MVP at the end of the season. It's a, it's a possibility. He'll be top five, right? Like guaranteed. You keep, we keep talking about Giannis. He's getting better every year. He's up to his assist stats. He's shooting more efficiently. And he just, it's scary how he's getting better every year. And it's scary. And he's not even like in his full prime yet. That, like, that's going to be something to watch. Reminds me if Mike Trout actually won a World Series, but you know, just a bit. Uh, right. Yeah. Not to talk, talk about Giannis currently averaging 28, 11, and five. They still have Chris Middleton there, one of the best number two stars in the league. Averaging 19.5 and 5. And don't forget, Sam, they also traded for Drew Holiday. Oh, my. I can speak volumes about Drew Holiday. I'm a guy recently. I love. Gave up a lot to get him also, right? It wasn't, a, it wasn't, a, it was a handful of first, a handful of players. One of the best defensive players in the NBA, averaging 17, 14, 6. All three of these guys are shooting over 45% from the field. Sam, is it fair to say the Bucks have the best big three in basketball right now? Yes. Look, the Nets. Objectively. I think the Nets talent have the best big three, but this Nets team has barely, they barely played together. You can't rely they're going to be on the court at the same time. And basically it's just Drew Holiday is one of the rare people that can really just take out your best player one through five. And he's just, and even at age 32, he's getting it done. These guys are reliable. You never know what you're going to get from the Nets. They're not going to be healthy all the time. And Giannis can basically get it done all the time. And they complement each other well, which is why I think it's so great. Giannis is unstoppable with, within the basket, not necessarily good at the best outside. Middleton can shoot for – basically score from anywhere. Holiday also score from a lot of ways, but also, like, get it done on the defensive end. And that's also what differentiates these guys. And he can also get it done on defense, which is rare to find. A lot of two-way players that just get it done. So I gave them an A+. Because yeah. I think – they're durable, they're reliable, and they get the job done, which now I think let's goes to my about, best thing. Let's talk about the rest of the roster for a second, right? A uh, couple of role players, Dante DiVincenzo, obviously being the odd one out that is likely is the most likely off this roster to be traded for an upgrade. Not signed long-term, not playing the greatest. They need to get a bit more out of him. Grayson Allen, they signed to an extension, third highest plus minus on this team, 11.9 points and almost 40% from three. Just to mention a couple others. Who else do you like and on this team pitch. in the role player role? Bobby Portis. Bobby Portis has been phenomenal in the absence of Brook Lopez. He's averaging 14 points. He's really been like he's looking like one of the best signings of the one of the best extensions of the offseason. He was great for them in the finals. And but also he's really fit into this role player. And when Brooke Lopez comes back, I think that's what are gonna put this team over the top. They've shown how much they need him. He's played one game this season, so it's gonna be a lot. And they're just that's why my critique on the Nets as opposed to the Bucs. The Bucs are deep. They're very deep. And they can really have guys fit in, like the Grayson Allens, the Bobby Portises, the George Hills they still have. Pat Connaughton, 10 points off the bench. Their guards are very deep. But I think one thing I think is a sleeper. I'm going to get a lot of flack for this because it's happened before. The Marcus Cousins is on the team, by the way. Still and, in the tryout phase, I believe, right? Yeah. He's still a shell of his old self. But we've seen that when Cousins gets his opportunity, he can still produce. He's not what he used to be, but he can still somewhat produce. And having him as the front court depth 
kind of scary to think about. They have a lot of athleticism and diversity on offense and defense, which is an amazing. It makes team run like a well-oiled machine. Yeah, and I just want to touch on Boogie for a second. Right? This was a guy a handful of years ago before the aforementioned kinetic chain issues, which we'll get into in a second, was traded for Buddy Heald and a couple first-round picks. Right, This isn't a dude who's fallen off talent-wise, physically declining. He had an Achilles tear, had a quad tear, and an ACL within like a relatively short, and I think a two-year calendar. Everything span. that could go, everything that could go wrong went wrong for Boogie. And you know, as someone who's had experience with leg, leg injuries, once you have one, you fear for the other ones, and frankly, they're much more likely to happen. Whether it's a repeat tear of something, or something in the same leg, or the other leg, once you have one, you're so much more susceptible to getting another one. Yeah, and for Boogie, to, for all that mental fortitude to come back after all these injuries is just impressive to watch. Right. And this gets into the guy we like to talk about, Coach Bud. I gave Coach Bud an A. He's got a, he's signed a three-year extension, and he's well-deserved in his fourth season with the Bucs. He's a two-time coach of the year, once with the Bucs. He's won in his four years with the Bucs. He's 193 and 86, 31 and 17 in the playoffs. and this team is gets it done. We talked about how they get it done on both ends of the floor. Once again, they're top 10 in offense and defense, eighth in defense, 10th in offense. They're the second best rebounding team in the league. And one thing scares me about this team is that the athleticism and the length, they are a big team that can score. Like that is scary to think about. Like you have like the athleticism, but also the talent, but just something aware to find. And we've seen coach, Buddy's been great at managing these personalities. I mean, these bucks have been through some very tough times over the years and he's taken it in stride. Absolutely. Uh, let's go for a second. Obviously, roster construction. Obviously, the coach the got, head coach got to get most of the players. But who's the guy who puts them all there? Let's talk about the executive. Right? Let's talk about John Horse. John Horse is one of the NBA's best. The Grayson Allen deal looks like a slam dunk. Everybody gave up on him, wrote him off, saying he wasn't going to be a player in this league. He's shown he's a very comparable bench player. And he's just been amazing at building this contender. Drew Holiday was one of the best trades in recent years. It got them over the top. It got them that championship. Dante DiVincenzo was a great pick in the late round. He's shown he can be very good off the bench. But I only gave John Horst an A- minus because I took points off of the whole Boyan Bogdanovich debacle, the whole tampering situation. Like, imagine if that worked out and they end up getting Boyan. Like, this team would be even more scary if you think about it. Like, getting yeah. that shooting on a team that really needed it, like, that would have been scary. And I took off for how he handled that situation. I still think he's still one of the premier executives in this league. That whole debacle was ridiculous. That, 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 that is the definition of tampering, right? We, we saw the whole debacle, and there's a reason it finished the way that it did. Uh, but enough of that. Let's talk about their assets, right? They've obviously traded a lot. So they don't have a first-round pick for a while. until 2028, 2028 to be exact. Yep. And they have a lot of second-rounders, but again, those don't really gain you much. Per spotrack.com, for this current season, they are – Paying a luxury tax bill of $46 million. They are currently $46 million over the cap. Whoa. So, not a, and frankly, if you're winning, you pay that tax, and most of these owners can pay that tax sporadically just for next year's uh, salary cap update, just to get a look. They are currently sitting at... They're like one of... I think they're one of the most cap-stricken teams in the league, but like, again... They're million, $64.6 over the cap for next year already. So they're not at the price. They're going to only add people on the middle, on the tax level, the pair exception. They're going to get the lower end of that because they're a luxury tax payer and veteran minimums. That, so they've shown they've been good at adding those guys. Bobby Portis was a mid-level exception last year. Boogie Cousins is on a mid-level exception deal. Yeah. So absolutely. They'd have a, they have the ability to find those guys, but you don't have that much in terms of assets long-term. Sam gave him a C here. I have him at a D, honestly, because that luxury tax bill gets expensive year after year, and not having those first round picks, the second rounders aren't really assets in the NBA. Right, and but the thing is, I do think you could see some of these young guys maybe trying to get some more depth in the backcourt. Maybe you know they could maybe just make some more depth moves. I don't think they need to, but we can maybe see them make maybe try to make one more move to see what happens. But overall, I gave the Bucks an A. This team is always with with if they are locked into this core. The way it is, Chris Milton's just coming out of his prime. This For the next three years, they're going to be a contender. That's just the way it is. I mean, I probably have them as an A- minus right now because they are currently third in their division, six in the East. But frankly, they have 30 games left to play, and they likely will catch up with at least one of the two teams ahead of them. 
and will, I think, find a way. They'll, they'll definitely be a top six seed. They won't have to deal with the play-in. They should be the favorite in the Eastern Conference for the foreseeable future, unless mm-hmm. the Nets somehow get everyone healthy or the Sixers figure out their situation. The ceiling for this team is the, sky is the, high. Sky's the limit. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. So now from talking about third-place teams to teams that are in first place, Woo-hoo. we got the Chicago Bulls, 31-18 and 18 so far in the season. First in the central, tied for first in the east. And they haven't been to the playoffs in a minute also, Sam, right? They haven't been back to the playoffs, I believe. Three to four, three or four years, I believe. It's been a while. But this Bulls team has completely flipped the switch on everything. They were looking like they were treading in somewhat of like a bottom-tier mediocrity, but they completely flipped the switch. They thought Levine was going to leave. But now it's looking like this team's going to stick around for a while. Yeah, this is what happens when you make moves in the offseason. All right, let's talk about the Stars for a second, right? Let's talk about Zach Levine first, obviously. He's really taken that leap from all-star to, like, star. Uh, 24 points, four assists, five rebounds a game, 48 from the field, almost 40 from three, 56% effective goal, field goal percentage. He takes good shots, 14th currently in the league in scoring. But Nikola Vucevic as well on that uh, had a slow start to the season, but finally picking it up. 16 points, 11 rebounds. 32% from three is the worst of his career for a big man. You know, it's a bit below average. Could he's be- going to be the key. He's going to be the key. Slow start is a little bit concerning because Butch has never been known as a great interior defender. He's an offensive, he's an offensive center. And he's been that his whole career. Yep. And the shooting numbers do concern me. And he's, there's a, he's minus at his plus minus with for shots zero. 10 feet within the basket or less, which is what he's supposed to protect. It's minus four, which That's is bad, abysmal for a center. So he needs to pick that up and they need to get. So I'm, that's one I want to critique on Vucevic that his offense can only get you so far, you know, but put the secondary and the tertiary start aside for a second. Let's talk about the main attraction on this Bulls team. Free agent addition, DeMarta Rosen. He's been MVP candidate this year, 26 points per game, just six in the league career high, five assists, five rebounds. He's an all-star starter in the East, as we mentioned earlier. Currently on career highs in points per game, three-point percenting shooting over, over, over 35, 50% from the field. He's been one of the most clutch players by every metric this season and is the leader of this team at the age of 32. Sam, and tell me more about this guy. Tell me more about him. I've loved DeMar DeRose in his whole career, just his the way he, the way he conducts himself, his story, and who he is as a person. He's like been the perfect player. This move was met with a lot of criticism, but it has been worked like a charm for the Bulls. He's been the exact person that they need to just get them over the top. A guy that can just do everything for you. He can get you a bucket from no matter what. He's still the mid-range king. And again, we saw tuning a career high 35% from from three. That is a career high for him. And he is really just like, it seems like his time in San Antonio has really made him into a more complete player. Every year in San Antonio, his assist numbers increased. Being around Greg Popovich, you become more of a team player. You fit in more to your role. It was a lot different to his role in Toronto, where he was sort of just like, go score, do whatever. He's really developed his game so much more. He's so much more multidimensional. And he, he's just really been amazing. And I wouldn't be surprised if we're talking about him later in the season as maybe the MVP of the league if they keep Bulls keep playing the way that they're playing. But the one thing is also him and Levine complement each other so well. They're both athletic. They like to get out and run. They're like to slam it down, hit to each other. It's so fun to watch. It's like almost reminiscent of the Showtime Lakers. They're fun to watch. You know, right. I'd like to say he even won a championship for the Raptors because without him, they can't go get Kawhi Leonard to win that championship in 2019. Hey, it's just me poking fun at it. But you know, DeRozan this season has cemented himself as a Hall of Famer. Really? Quote me on that. Wow. You can quote me on that. That I guess we got our we got our headline for the for the, for today's episode. Uh, Demar Derozan's a Hall of Famer. That's a good one. Uh, yeah, Again, and, the NBA Hall of Fame is the easiest thing to get into. So, but nonetheless, <laughs> still, we've talked about the Baseball Hall of Fame among others on the show. Uh, in terms of us uh, screwing nice deals and trades they made this offseason, let's get into the role players. Let's start with Alonzo Ball. Right, signed a four-year, eighty-five million dollar deal. Signed and traded the Pelicans. He's been the facilitator we always thought he would be coming out of UCLA, and that he was really early in his career, but was overshadowed by a bunch of other things. Doesn't try to do too much. 13, five and five, shooting 42% for three, plus 3.6 with him. And this next hour, we're talking about Alex Caruso. 
Brian Scalabrini step over. There's a new white mamba in town. Alex Caruso is underratedly like one of the best glue guys in the league. He's one of the best perimeter defenders. And he has career highs in pretty much every statistical category. Eight four point points on three assists and three rebounds. And the craziest stat, in term, in term, according to NBA.com, with two-man lineups, the Bulls lineup plus minus 3.6 when Hitman and Ball are on the floor at the same time. They are really complementing each other well. These day bulls are better with them on the floor together, which speaks volumes about a signing when the players that you signed are playing well together. And some of the bulls best lineup according to NBA.com are the best when these two were on the floor together with everybody else. So that's been amazing. But a guy I really want to touch on who I've been high on since college. I Sumu has been looking like one of the steals of the draft. His stats don't jump out. He only seven, seven points, three events to assist. But he's a nice long-term asset. I mean, he was a star at Illinois. He's played quality minutes for them, 50% for the field and vision shooting. And he showed he can pop off his score. He had a few 20-point games this season. I like to see his development go a bit further, but he he's played some quality minutes, and I like him as a piece. And the guy we've talked about, Patrick Williams hasn't played this season, and he was showing a lot of strides last season. He's a, he is a real slasher. I love his defense. I love defensive guys. And what personifies the Bulls team is their three-point shooting, the best three-point shooting team in the league, and that is – Comes with Ball, with Levine, and with Lucevic, even though he's not having a down a down year. Troy Brown off the bench. Bonzo McKinney's have a bit of a revival. But they are very well balanced on the offensive side. Yeah, obviously a very well-depth organization team. Let's get into the man who runs the show, Billy Donovan, right? He is 63-59 and 59, his two seasons with the Bulls. Fourth in offensive rating this season, 19th in defensive rating. Longtime coach of the Thunder, never really did anything in the playoffs there. 3-1 lead, cough, cough. Uh, you know, uh, got to prove himself in the playoffs. Coach of the year candidate for what he's done with the with a team with very little expectations being first in the East. Little Gabe Kapler reminiscent, right? Yeah, and Billy, Do- we talked with Billy Dominant. He's always been a good coach, but he's very unproven in the playoffs. He's never, those Thunder teams lost to teams that were way better than them. Paul George had an M- was an MVP candidate back then, and they couldn't do anything with it. And I really think I need to see more. Like, Billy Donovan's doing great in the regular season, but, like, come playoff time, I need to see more from them. Yeah, they need more. We got him at a B-plus, and it's an accurate rating. He's not going to get that A grade from us until he uh, wins the playoff series, which they're going to likely have be hosting. Yeah, until he wins the playoff series. Yep. All right, now let's talk about the probably best branch of this team because of the work they did this offseason. Let's talk about the executives, Mark Eversley and Arturis Karnasavis. Their second full season at the helm. They've brought in a lot of contracts. DeRozan, Ball, Caruso, and Vucevic. Williams pick. Don's among others being really good for this team. Levine will most likely sign an extension with them pending their success. And if not, they'll find a way to keep him. Or worst case scenario, sign in trade. This core is mostly intact for a while based on the fact that everyone signed this offseason. Sam, how aggressive do we want them to be at the deadline? What do we want them to do? Get Jeremy Grant. They need they need a not maybe not even Jeremy Grant but they need some oomph in the paint. We talked about Vucevic's defensive struggles. They need some, they need some defense inside. They're 19 defensive rating. They have, they have some of the best front backcourt depth in the league. Their front court depth is very, very weak. They need to go out and get a center, a power forward, and someone that can just, I think a guy to watch Daniel Gafford of the Washington Wizards. He's a great, he has a, he could be a good rim runner, a guy that can really defend it. They need to get someone that can just command the paint. And Vucevic isn't that person. He plays a lot more outside. I want them to maybe get a Jeremy Grant would be a good fit, but also maybe Mitchell Robinson. Mitchell Robinson also could be in play. I would not. I think that'd be a great fit for them. A guy that can rebound, can defend with the best of them. So I want them to be aggressive at this deadline. They need one more piece, I think, to be real contenders. In the East and not just pretenders this year. uh, Let's talk about assets. Uh, They own, but they have two first round picks this year, likely only going to get one because the pick from Portland from the marketing trade is a lottery protected and will, likely be in the lottery this year. So they won't get that. Uh, cap space is not in the greatest spot. Negative 22 million in terms of space. Uh, that's not including the bird rights they're going to have on Levine to bring him back. And that backloaded extension at 8%, which is a bit high, but they're going to get that done. And they'll pay, it's, it's a Chicago team. They're a big market. They can pay that tax bill. Uh, Mitch, a guy we completely haven't talked about yet, Kobe White. I think he's going to be at the forefront of a lot of teams' trade rumors. He's been great for them, double-digit points, showed, again, some quality minutes with Lonzo Ball's absence, 
And he's a good role player for your team, to, for a championship team to have. He's very mature. He's a great combo guard. I could see teams making a play for him. But Next. he could be, yeah, I could see him being involved in a lot of packages for teams. So he could be on the move. Patrick Williams, they have a lot of guys that could be dealt for stars. And they, their first round pick could be in play this year. So we'll see about that. Maybe a package back from New York involving Kemba and Mitchell Robinson with Kobe White being the headliner coming back there. Be interesting to see. Okay. And with that, the crystal ball predicts the Bulls as an A minus. They'll be yeah. a fringe contender the next few years, one piece away. They're not there this year. They need another, at least another year with this core. But like the Nets, health has been an issue. Ball and Caruso are both out for four to six weeks. Levine. They, Levine has had COVID issues and injury issues all season. But these three years are their window. DeRozan's 32. He's not getting any younger. They need to cash in with this core while they can. You know, absolutely, right? We're looking at a team that probably can't try Kobe White with all his injuries. They may, I don't think they make it beyond the conference semis, honestly, depending on who they match up against, right? If they finish as the one seed in the East, they're going to get a playing team. And then a four or five, which might be Philly or the Nets, might be the Bucks or the Cavs, right? You don't ever know who you're going to get in this situation. But enough talk about the teams. Let's talk about the sellers in this division. Uh, the Detroit Pistons, 12 and 37, fifth in the Central, 14th Ooh. in the East, only ahead of the Orlando Magic. Uh, this current roster is atrocious, but <laughs> they got two pieces that are something different, right? Cade Cunningham or Sam loves to write in the script. Cade, 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 uh, in all caps, uh, 15 points a game, 5.2 assists with five rebounds, 1.7 steals and 0.7 blocks. They got the right pick at first overall. It looks like 39% from the field. That's going to have to go up. Uh, they got the pick right. They got their fr- they got their franchise guy. They're going to have to go build around him now. Future MVP. You heard it first. All right. And let's talk about the guy who's been most talked about in the trade rumors this season. For whatever reason, Jeremy Grant. Okay. Jeremy Grant is on a lot of people's radar for a lot of reasons. Ever since he left Denver, came to Detroit, he's upped his game. He's yeah. upped his every category. And something that could be attributed to, like, empty stats on a not winning team, but he's really proven himself that he could be like a good number two guy, sort of like a Ju- I could see him. He reminds me a lot of Julius Randle. He's 20 point per game score. He can really Julius fill Randall. up a stat sheet. <laughs> four, four, four rebounds, 2.5 assists, one block, a steal a game, a guy that can stuff the stat sheet, 41% for the field. He could be an, I think a lot of contenders are going out for him just to have another, a big body on a, on the wing that can score and defend like the best of them. He's one of the better perimeter defenders in the league. And I think the Pistons are going to be taking a crap ton of calls from him over the next two weeks. I think he's going to be on a lot of people's radars. He's the perfect – he's like the perfect next piece for a lot of teams to get. I think the Jazz should probably be in the mix. We talked about the Bulls, the Cavs maybe even. There are going to be a lot of teams wanting him. He is like fits a lot of teams, what they need. Yeah, Sam just listed three, but there's probably another dozen that would likely want him on a roster and make a move for him. I want him. <laughs> Pistons are going to have their pickings like the uh, prom, like the uh, cheer captain at the ball at the at prom, right? All of our <laughs> options. Uh, role players, meh for the most part. Sadiq Bay averaging 15 and six and two, 33% from the field. Hasn't, really, Sadiq, hasn't really been shooting it, what they brought him in for. Right. That's like, the thing with Sadiq Bay. He was brought in to be the three and D guy, and he hasn't been shooting as well as he should, but he's, he's, he's up to stats for. He's up to scoring stats. It's probably because for him, he's taking a lot more shots this year. So that could be attributed to that. But Sadiq Bey is a guy that's not, he's not going to be a star, but he could be a very quality 3 and G guy in this league as he keep, if he keeps making strides. Yeah, Isaiah Stewart's been making strides with rebounding. Might be a quality center for them. Maybe a piece for them down the road. Luke Garza has not been great. Diallo's been a veteran that's filled in great well for them close to the basket. Uh, real players, we gave, we gave like a C. Overall roster, we gave a D even with Cade and Jeremy Grant. Uh, they're the worst net rating of the league right now, 29th <laughs> offensive and 23rd defensive, almost last in points, rebounds, field goals, field goal percentage, and they can't defend really much. Uh, this roster is poor. Yeah. That's the best way I can put my, put my, put my finger on it. Uh, right. We talk about the roster. Let's talk about the man who they enlisted to take on this rebound when they signed him to five-year contract. Still, I think one of the most humorous coaching, uh, timelines of all time <laughs> Dwayne Casey uh was hired by them after the Raptors fired him while after he, winning coach of the year after before the coach of the year award came out he was fired and got this job on a five-year deal was brought in to handle this rebuild 
93 and 177. One playoff appearance. Got swept by the Bucks. Makes sense. Always had respect. For, we've always had respect for him as a coach. He hasn't really had much to work with. They've while well, they've been retooling, rebuilding this roster. But he's had a 30-year-old Blake Griffin and Andre Drummond. Tell me, tell me how to win with that. Oh, why that was ever thought of as a good move to bring in Blake Griffin. I never understood that from either end. I understand why the Clippers got rid of him, but like that extension. And a fastest trade... prime, Derek Rose. Yeah. Uh, in terms of uh, people making poor decisions for this roster, not doing Casey. Let's talk about the executive branch, Troy Weaver in his second season. Right. Sam was generous here and gave him a C. I think Cade Cunningham kind of brings that up a letter grade or two. But Killian Hayes was an absolute brick of a pick. Troy Weaver, you should be ashamed of yourself. Look, I know he's young, but like you begged him to produce, you draft him very high over a lot of other guys. He's averaging six points a game. They clearly don't trust him. They need to see more out of him or else he really could just be giving up on him. I need to see more from Killian Hayes. I feel bad like going off and going off this pick the way he is because Killian Hayes could end up proving me wrong. But like, I'm sorry, that was an absolute air ball of a pick. Uh, yeah, I mean, Cade was also a no-brainer, so, like, that was going their favor. Uh, let's go to assets for a second, right? This is the one area where they actually thrive because they have stuff here. They're going to have a top-five pick this year. They're going to be in the pick for the – they're going to be in the lottery, and they're going to have their future for the next first two years. They have another second round – they have other second-round picks, including two in 2024. If they um, get Shed Holmgren, they just – they just put themselves in, like, some elite – some good company. Maybe – Paolo Banchera, Jabari, maybe an AJ Griffin if he builds a stock up. I don't know if that's going to happen. Has been. He, has, he been. has been. He has been. Uh, not to mention, they're going to get a lot back for Jeremy Grant. Likely a first round pick or two, maybe a play. I think a, coup, a two first round picks would be a coup for them, especially when they get two legit first. I don't know if they're going to wind up getting like, they, no. might get, they might get like a, like an unprotected late and then like a lottery. If they can find a way to get, if he can find a way to get two first round picks for Jeremy Grant and whatever package they get back, that's that's the one of the deadline for me. So overall, this team's also got forty seven million dollars of caps. But who wants to go to Detroit? <laughs> I would like. I want to play with Kate Cunningham. I don't know about you, but given that the Pistons have like, they're like really at the bottom of the rebuild. The only place to go is up. We gave them a C plus because the only way they can go from this rebuild is up. Kate, I. I give them a C plus because I'm in love with Cade Cunningham. He literally gives them like you have the superstar and you can build around that. That's the core for every team. And again, what they what this pick or pick that they have is going to be the what their future is going to be determined. If it lands in the top three, then they're going to be a playoff team in three years. You know, I have them in like a C minus D plus situation. To me, it really comes down to can they draft the right guys? Because they haven't had the best track record with that. They also have to get they have to get two to three legit long-term assets that are average or one elite asset for Jeremy Grant, right? You're not going to be able to build a team around that. Honestly, the elite asset would be better. I don't know what you're getting for him and who's going to give you the most, but I sell, I don't care about division. I send him off to the highest bidder, bid him well. And if it comes close, let him even pick his destination because you never know how that's going to come back to help you in the future. They really got to get these picks, right? They got to use that cash space effectively, bring in the right guys, rent out that cap space for picks. We've seen a lot of that in the past. They should go with, Take on bad contracts to get picks back. Uh, they have a couple. They have a lot of work to do. But now to our last team in this division, one that I've been pretty fond of in recent years. But this season has not gone well for them at all. It's about time they start a rebuild. We got the Indiana Pacers, nineteen thirty-three, fourth in the division and thirteenth in the East. Right, just missed the playoffs last season. A team that's much better on paper than they have been on the court in recent years. TJ Warren's health, obviously, being a case. Looking at the stars. But they got one star on this team at this point. Right, Sam? And it's DeMontis Sabonis. And DeMontis Sabonis is a star, but, like, he's not a number one option. I mean, he's been great for them, 19, 19 points, 12 rebounds. Still one, I think he's still one of the best power, power forwards in basketball. He's shooting 58% of the field, 38% from three, one steal on, on half a block. He's not a superstar. And you need a superstar. And that's what's always been the thing with the Pacers. They've always had good to great player, good players, but they that's what they've been trading in mediocrity, which is, like, the absolute – Nail on the, like mediocrity is the worst place for a team to be in, and the Pacers have always been there, and they've never been able to really cash in for a real superstar on these feet on these deals that they made. And Sabonis, a superstar, he's still making improvements every season, but he's not there yet. And in terms of this young players, like this Pacers team has so much good talent on them, great role players to surround themselves with, and they've been one of the better run organizations over the past few years. 
They've always been in the mix for a playoff contender, even surprising a few teams, and they've always made smart moves. But this team, everything that could have gone wrong went wrong for the Pacers. Turner's hurt, and him and Sabonis haven't played well together. He's expected to be traded by the deadline. And the thing to deal is with the Pacers, they really don't have any front court. Depth. They don't have any backcourt depth. They have a lot of good guards, a lot of good forwards, but like no one to defend, simulate the Bulls. They're, this Pacers team has guys that can score. Chris Duarte has been a great piece, great draft pick, 13 points, 40% of the field. Karis LeVert, 17, 17 points. He can probably, he's probably going to be on the move. He can be a great scoring champion team. He's a microwave. He can heat up at any time. But the guy that I think is the motor of this team, and I think a lot of teams need this guy, Malcolm Brockton. 18 points, five rebounds, six, six assists on 44% shooting from the team. He's a great field general. He contributes to winning. He has some of the highest, he has the highest win share on the team. He is a guy your team wants. I think the Celtics should be calling for him. I think maybe the Philadelphia 76ers could be in play for him. I think Malcolm Brockton should be on a lot of people's radars during come trade deadline. And we talked about TJ Warren, his health. We, when he's been healthy, he's produced, but his health has been an, always been an issue. TJ McConnell has regressed. He hasn't been the same as with age. Justin Holiday has been a nice piece, but we notice all these guys, these are all guards and some forwards. Steph Turner. Guys that can score. That is non-existent. And there's the, the reason that this team is bad, their defense is 25th in the league and the loss of Turner doesn't help. And Rick Collow being a defensive coach, not That's a good look. kind of a red flag, right, Sam? Just a little, little red flag. Uh, yeah. Obviously, we're getting a Car- Carlisle first season not going well at all. Coming over from a Dallas team that fired him because he didn't meet expectations. We got him in a C minus here, right? Tough first year injuries happen. Team playing poor happens. Got to right the ship, likely on a short leash in Indiana moving forward. But, Mitch, let's get into the executive branch. This is why I think this team still has hope. I don't think there's a chance they could even turn around their season. Yeah, uh, Kevin Pritchard, we have him as a B. He found a way to turn an undesirable Paul George situation into a productive one, getting Victor Oladipo and DeMontis Sabonis. For him, Oladipo was annoying, but Sabonis has developed into a cornerstone for this franchise for a number of years now. TJ Warren trade was good as well, but he hasn't really been healthy. He's got to find a way to get the most out of his guys. I don't think there's any player on this team that should be untouchable right now. Miles Turner should... And- the Miles Turner, DeMontis, I'm going to pick a bone right here because you knew these guys were stepping on each other's toes and you were better off only having one of them on the court. And they both knew they couldn't play together. Not that they had a personal issue or anything, but like they just couldn't play match well together. Should have traded one of them. Should have made up your mind. Turner was likely always the one to be traded and will likely be the one to be traded now, but he's out with a stretch foot reaction. You waited to the rental pay fees. They traded Turner a year or two ago. How much were they gone for Turner? At least a first, a first and a second, right? Maybe two. Now his value, his value is toast. You might, you'll be lucky. Okay, I like a heavy protective first for him. Golden State, maybe James. Like if you're like what poaching James Wiseman out of Golden State. <laughs> no, that that ain't happening. Maybe for Sabonis, but even maybe. then, that's maybe. Or like, like like there aren't that many options, right? Brogdon will likely be gone. If I'm Pritchard, knowing the state, and this team hasn't really gone a full scale rebuild in 30, 20 to thirty years, now might be the time to add up and. Acclimate, acclimate their picks, get younger players, get controllable assets, get your training right, get your management right, and start to build that Indiana identity again. And I think Kevin Pritchard has always shown he can get the most out of a deal. So I'm confident that front office is going to do something. They're going to make the smart decision. Yeah. Uh, let's talk about assets. Uh, they have a couple first rounders. They have their, their first round of this year, a handful of an extra second. Not like pretty uh, slightly above average for uh, draft pick assets cap space wise. They're not in the greatest situation. I believe 34 million under the cap, but just to confirm that number for next year per spot rack, the Indiana Pacers next year salary cap situation, they're actually, nope, they're 38 million under for next year. We're already looking at $32 million luxury tax bill. Handful of trade exceptions that they can use. Nothing too big. Doug McDermott, 7.3, 4 million for Aaron Holiday, and 2.3 for Edmund Sumner trade. They don't have that many. They have to use, they have cap holds that TJ Warren and Jeremy Lamb with a combined 34 million cap holds. That will kind of, yikes, as long as they renounce those, but I would trade those guys. 
a lot of money under contract for a handful of guys should be trading them. We'll see how that goes. We give them a B minus for their current assets. If they're going to blow this up, they got to figure out a way to get the cap space right, which I think I, I have faith in Pritchard that he'll be able to do. So we give them a C minus because the majors have been trading mediocrity for years, but like they've been they've been paying up for years, and now they're in debt, and now it's time to pay time to pay up. I mean, it's going to be a long three years. I think they're going to blow everything up. It's going to be a long three years for Indiana, but nonetheless, I do think they could turn the season around if they make the right move. All right, and that concludes our crystal ball week two. But the Central Division next week, we're going to talk about the Southeast Division and wrap up our Eastern Conference in that in this segment. All right, Sam, now time for our favorite portion of the, of the podcast. It is time for the Hawk of the Day. All right, Sam, lead us off today. Go, you people. The UMass Minutemen have been on the recruiting trail this season, but none bigger then Adam Vinatieri's son is coming to UMass to punt. I mean, look, kickers have lives too, people. I mean, kickers matter. You see Evan McPherson, you see A.J. Cole. These people matter. And, like, there's a big for the publicity of the team. Like, Pat McAfee was all over talking about it on his show. They last show Gotta yesterday. love Pat McAfee. And, like, this team is getting some recognition. And, like, this is great for the state of Massachusetts, great for the Minutemen. It's great for everyone. Everybody wins in this situation. No one one bigger than Jimbo Fisher, but that's a whole different story. My hawk of the day, he said, he said, lawsuits of Wolverines. NFL Twitter has just been a daunting place these past couple of days, right? We have Ken Dorsey. Oh, going to the Giants. Nope. Last minute, got cold feet. Same with the Bills. Giants hired Mike Kafka as the OC. Earlier, former Chiefs QB coach and passing game coordinator. I like the hire, right? Lawsuits from Brian Flores after not getting jobs, even though he's still finalists. We don't know how that's going to turn out. Uh Jim Harbaugh accepting a job, deciding to go back to Michigan. Kevin O'Connell now getting at that job in Minnesota. And the cherry on top of all of NFL Twitter this week, the Washington football team got a new name as the Commanders and shout out to Pat McAfee for tweeting out what we were all thinking. <laughs> what are we going to nick in the Commanders? The commies, right? Obviously the commies. Not to mention the Commanders' color scheme is red primarily. And they're playing in D.C. The commies wearing red, playing in the nation's capital. That floats awesome well. I can't wait for the post headlines that have come out and that haven't come out yet. Oh, Dan Snyder, what have you done? Because, come on, the Red Wolves, the football team would have been also kind of cool to leave. We'll get used to it, but, you know, better than the Guardians. That's all I got to say. Sell the team already. Sell the team. Broncos are supposedly up for four billion, but uh, we'll see who buys them. Uh, bit of a longer episode today, but that's always going to be a given with the crystal ball. Thank you all for tuning in to another to us. We'll be back tomorrow with our very first Olympic segment as we recap the opening ceremonies. Get you ready for all the coverage of the games next week. We're going to have a packed show. Our first ever NFL honor show is coming next week. Stay tuned for that. That's going to be a lot of fun. But nonetheless, my name is Sam Kimchis. I'm Mitch Wolf. We got a lot of content coming for you tomorrow. Hope you enjoyed listening. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at The Highlands Hawk. And we will see you next time on The Highlands Hawk.